we thank you, Lord, uh, that we can look in your word to be strengthened where we're weak and to grow where we need to grow. We pray that what we talk about tonight will be only your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Ruth chapter 4 is the final act, so to speak, in this short story, uh, what has sometimes been referred to as the most beautiful short story in history. And I hope that what we have been impressed with over the course of these four, or over the course of the three chapters that we've looked at, is the undeniable uh, hand of God at work over the course of the lives of these three main characters. We've got Naomi, we've got Ruth, and eventually we've got Boaz. God has been working undeniably, I think, through the lives of these, particularly these two women. Even though sometimes it's kind of difficult to see it, uh, he's there and he's working. In fact, God isn't mentioned a whole lot in the book of Ruth. But as you read it, you have to be struck with the fact how many times God is, is helping them along the way. Certainly, Naomi struggles to see God's hand at work uh, in the beginning of the, of the story. She struggled to see that God is doing good for her. Uh, all she has felt in the first couple of chapters is what she feels like is God's wrath being poured out on her. You remember in Ruth chapter 1, in verse 21, when she comes back to Bethlehem and everybody begins going, is this, is this Naomi? I imagine she might have looked a little bit different after everything that she'd gone through in the land of Moab. She comes back to the city of Bethlehem or the town of Bethlehem in chapter 1 and verse 21. This is what she has to say, back up to verse 20. She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? That doesn't sound like someone who has seen God's good hand at work in her life. Uh, and again, I, I want to be fair to Naomi. I'm not sure I'd be much different in her circumstance. She has gone through a horrible amount of pain and suffering in her life. In those first two chapters, we see God continually nudging her in the right direction, doing good things for her, whether it's you know, bringing Ruth into her life or saying that there's food back in Bethlehem so she can leave this foreign land of Moab and go back home. God is doing good things for her, and certainly we see that in the life of Ruth. And Ruth is kind of the opposite of Naomi. Ruth, you remember we talked about, has been through a lot herself as well. Oh, Ruth lost a husband. She lost a father-in-law. She lost a husband before they were able to have any children. She's lost a lot, and yet we see a stark difference between her response to things and the response of Naomi. Ruth goes to work. She realizes once they get to Bethlehem, the the, the difficult circumstance that they find themselves in. She knows that they need to get to work to provide for themselves so that they can survive. Widows were incredibly vulnerable in that time period. And so she goes to work and God is using her to help provide for Naomi. But then as you go through, we're introduced to a third character whose name is Boaz. 
And God uses Boaz to provide not only for Naomi, but for Ruth as well. And we notice that the character of Boaz is an exemplary character. He's somebody who is a worthy man, and we notice that he was somebody who had the ability and the willingness to help somebody like Ruth, who had a character that you know I, I look at and I wish that I was more like. And so we have to be struck with the fact over the three chapters that we've studied that God is an active God in the lives of these two women. He's using people to help them as their story continues. And I think that that brings us to a good lesson for us. If our God is an active God, that probably means that we need to be an active people. And certainly we see Ruth being an active person over the course of the story. She doesn't sit on her hands. She goes to work. You remember how she was described by that young man of Boaz's? She's worked all day with just a short rest. That's how she's described, a hard worker, a diligent worker, and her character is just uh, expounded upon as we go through this book. So if God is active, that means that we should be active, and there is a danger to remaining sedentary like Naomi seem to have done in the first little bit of the story. Well, as we get into chapter 4, uh, we talked about this the last time we studied. We, we begin to see the curtain pulled back a little bit and see God's bigger picture. We, we see the story of Ruth and Boaz kind of leading us, pointing us to something much greater that's going to come in the future of the story of the Bible. But chapter 4, I think, really pulls back the curtain even more for us, to see what God has been working towards since before the beginning of time. This small story about the providential hand of God is leading to a bigger story of redemption involving the whole world. It's not just in this one small story about the redemption of Naomi and Ruth, but this story is a small story meant to expound upon the much greater story of redemption through Jesus. And we have to be impressed with how active and sacrificial our God has been in our lives, just as he was in the lives of Ruth and Naomi, and just as Boaz was in the life of Ruth and Naomi, and just as Ruth was in the life of Naomi. So let's begin here in Ruth chapter 4. And verse 1, Ruth chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field... From the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name 
of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Well, Boaz here in the very first verse keeps his promise to Ruth. He told her, you go back home, I'm going to go and I'm going to deal with this situation. You've asked me to redeem you, I will redeem you, but according to the law, there's someone who has a a closer claim on redemption, and so I'm going to go take care of this. And you remember Naomi at the end of chapter 3 says he's an honorable man. He's going to go do this as soon as he can. Well, we see Boaz being the honorable type person that he is. He goes to the gates of the city, and he pulls aside the man who is the closer relative to Elimelech. Now, the gate of the city was a significant spot uh, in, in uh, Israel because that's where you would probably find the witnesses that you would need for any uh, serious transaction. And witnesses were really important under the old law of Moses. You couldn't condemn somebody without a certain number of witnesses. You needed witnesses for certain transactions. And so this is the natural place for Boaz to go to the gate of the city uh, to kind of give us a, a frame of reference. It's kind of like an Andy Griffith show. All the guys go to the barber shop. Uh, you could count on people being there, or you know the the old time um, general stores. You could count on people being on the front the front porch. You know, rocking in their rocking chair. You could always count on people to be there. You could always count on people being at the city gate, and so that's where Boaz goes. And he brings this nearer relative and he grabs ten other men of the elders of the city so that they can serve as witnesses to what's about to happen, what he's going to say to this closer redeemer and what this redeemer will say to him. And he gets into the story, he tells this closer redeemer, well, Naomi has come back from Moab. She's back home. Elimelech has died and here's the situation. Naomi needs someone to redeem her. And she's got this parcel of land that used to belong to Elimelech, and now she needs to sell it, and she needs to be redeemed out of her destitute situation. Well, on surface level, the response of this closer redeemer is really great. He says, oh yeah, of course, I'll redeem that. But I, I want to remind you the time period that all of this story is taking uh, place in. You remember back in Ruth chapter 1, we continue to go back to this, it takes place during the time of the Judges. If you look at the end of the book of Judges, it says over and over again, the people did what was right in their own eyes. This is not a godly time period in the history of Israel. And so this man on the surface, he seems really excited. Of course, I'll buy this. Uh, this parcel of land, this is a great deal for me. I can redeem this land. I can redeem this woman. Uh, you know, Naomi's probably getting up there in age now. She probably won't, won't be a burden to me for very long. So, you know, for a relatively small amount of money, I can probably get this piece of land and add to my, you know, income or whatever it might be. Seems like a really good deal. To this guy. I don't think he's quite the same quality based off of what we read about next as Boaz was. 
I think Boaz is a, is a shrewd guy because he holds off a little bit of piece of information until the very end. And when the guy says, well, of course I'll, I'll buy this land, Boaz says, okay, you can have this land, but with the day that you buy it, you also acquire Naomi's daughter-in-law. And it just so happens that she is a Moabite woman. And again, the Moabites weren't seen very, uh, very well by the Israelites. Well, that changes the tune a little bit. Because the man who originally says, you know, I want this land, suddenly he goes, I don't think I want it anymore. And I think the critical point here is when Boaz says, you acquire Ruth the Moabite, she's going to become your wife, and he says, you're going to take her so that you can perpetuate the name of the dead. I think this is a critical point because redeeming Ruth from what Boaz is saying here means following the Leverite marriage law that we read about in Deuteronomy chapter 25. And we won't go there for the sake of time, but essentially what that law was all about was if you had a, a, a man that married a wife and he died before they could have any children, it was then the responsibility of the closest relative, usually a brother, to marry that woman and have a child, but that child would not technically be the heir of that second brother. It would be the heir of that first brother, perpetuating the line. And what Boaz is saying here is when you redeem Naomi and you redeem her land, you are also redeeming Ruth, whose husband died before he could give her any children. And you will marry her and you will have a child with her, but that child will not technically be yours. That child is going to perpetuate the line that originally was supposed to be there. Well, again, this is the critical point for this closer relative, and this is why uh, it seems to me like he's after some personal gain here because the moment that Ruth's name is brought into this, you notice what he says there in verse 5 or in verse 6? I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. He's worried about himself. He's worried about his inheritance. Taking on Ruth as a wife is going to carry with it some, some responsibilities and some dangers because she's a Moabite woman. What are people going to think about this guy that just married the Moabite woman? They're probably not going to be looked on super favorably by everyone else in town. It's almost like he does a complete 180 here. He just completely turns on his heel. And so he won't redeem Naomi, and he won't redeem Ruth. And I think the reason he won't redeem them is because it doesn't benefit him enough. It's not going to bring him enough benefit to redeem them. The cost that he's going to have to incur here, it's not just about the money, it's about who he's going to have to marry and the fact that that first child is not going to be his heir and there's no guarantee that there's going to be more children after that. That cost is far more to him than the worth of the land that he might redeem. 
But on a purely human surface level, I can kind of understand, right? On a purely human business-like level, you can see why he might make this decision. But it doesn't bring him a whole lot of benefit. But I'd ask this question. What benefit is it going to bring Boaz? Not a whole lot. You think about what Boaz gains. He's going to gain a wife. And, you know, hopefully it's a wife that he can delight in. But she isn't a Jewish wife. She's a Moabite, and there's going to be a stigma with that. He's going to gain the land that belonged to Elimelech, but you remember we've talked about Boaz. He's already a wealthy man. He's already got land. It's not like this is going to add a whole lot to him. And he might have children, but that first child isn't technically going to be his. It's going to be the child of Ruth and her first husband who passed away. So there's not a whole lot of gain for Boaz other than those few small points. And I think that has to bring us to this point. To redeem Ruth and Naomi is going to take an extraordinarily selfless and self-sacrificial act. To redeem them, he's going to have to give up something. And he's not going to get a whole lot of gain from sacrificing it and being selfless this, this closer relative isn't willing to do that. He isn't the type of person who's going to be selfless and self-sacrificial to take on the burdens of Naomi and Ruth. And they have burdens. But Boaz is. Boaz is the type of man who would do this. And so beginning in verse 7, it says, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day, that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers from the, and from the gate of, this native, of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be the, like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this woman. Wow. What Boaz says here is extraordinary. And during this time, you had this, this confirmation of, of the transaction where one would give the sandal to the other, and the, el, and the, the ten elders are there so that they can witness what's happened so that there can be no doubt about it. This, this closer relative has given up his right to redeem, and Boaz has taken on the responsibility of redemption for Naomi and Ruth and for their land. 
And I love what Boaz says. He doesn't shy away from the fact that he is marrying Ruth in part so that he can perpetuate the line of her previous husband. So the name won't be cut off. Remember, that's one of the, one of the things that we talked about that, was, that must have been so hard for Naomi. And she lost her husband and she lost her sons before they had a chance to, to have children. That name is cut off. That name's gone. The, the line is cut there. But Boaz is taking it upon himself to marry Ruth so that that name can continue. Imagine what a blessing that would be for Naomi. And certainly we're going to see that it was a blessing for Naomi. And the elders here, when they see what's happened, this beautiful act by Boaz, they cry out this blessing on Boaz. They say, may your marriage to Ruth be like Rachel and Leah, who, who had a lot of children and began the family of Israel. May she be like uh, the, the line of Perez, who was born to Tamar and Judah. Now, I find this blessing a little bit odd, because those are two groups of people that I, I wouldn't think would be in this blessing. You remember those stories. They're not altogether happy stories. You have Rachel and Leah, who kind of have a sibling rivalry going, because Jacob loved one more than the other. And, you know, they kind of have this rivalry going over who's going to have children, and Rachel struggles to have children while Leah continues to have more because God looks with favor upon her because Jacob favored Rachel more. And then with the story of Perez's parents, that's just a horrible story where Tamar dresses up as a, as a prostitute to to trick Judah into giving her a son because he failed uh, in, in, the, in the Leverite marriage law. He failed uh, to give her another son so that she could continue the line once her husband died. Both of those are horrible stories. So the question is, why do these elders here bless Boaz in this way by, by mentioning these two, uh, in, these two groups of individuals? Well, I think there is something in here that they're probably getting at, and then there's, there's more that we can see from this side of things. First of all, from those horrible stories, and maybe Rachel and Leah isn't a horrible story, but it's a, it's a story filled with some strife. From those stories, God brings about good, as he often does. You think about with Leah and Rachel. Jacob loved one more than the other, but the house of Israel came from that whole story. And the house of Israel, according to the promise to Abraham, is going to eventually bless the whole world. What a good thing to come from a story filled with strife. You think about the story of Judah and Tamar and Perez. The line of Perez is a pretty significant line. And from this side of things, when we look at, at that, that line is incredibly significant because it's through that line that Jesus comes. So from two difficult stories, God brings about good. And I think what the elders are doing here is they are blessing uh, Boaz and saying, I hope that from this comes God's blessing. I hope from this comes God's good. These two women have been through a horrible ordeal in their lives. I hope God blesses this story. 
with a good outcome. I think we see that God does at the end of this story. And then in verse 13, we see kind of the fulfillment of this blessing. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amminadab. Amminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. So Boaz marries Ruth, and together they have a son and just like the story started with Naomi, it switches back to Naomi here at the very end, and her story has begun to be reversed. The story that started with anguish and sadness and disappointment has suddenly been turned into joy. Look what God's done for her over the course of this story. His hand has always been with her. She now has a grandson who is described as a redeemer for her. And there is a sense in which he is a redeemer for her. It's a redemption of her family, a redemption of her line. And I love the description of this young boy for Naomi because it's so similar to someone else who is a redeemer. You see what it says, he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. You think about another Redeemer who does something like that. I think about Jesus, who restores people to life, and is a nourisher to those who sometimes are withering away. That's what this young boy is to Naomi. And it describes Ruth, who has loved her, and it says that she's more than seven sons. That number seven is significant in, in biblical history. It's the idea of completeness. I think the idea here is that Ruth has completed Naomi. This Moabite woman has completed Naomi. She has brought to her the completeness of her joy. And Naomi, who at one time probably felt so horrible because the hope of grandchildren was gone, becomes the nurse to this grandson. And the, the child is named Obed, for a son has been born to Naomi. Do you see what God has done in this story? God has taken the sadness of Naomi, as he does for so many people in the story of the Bible, and as he does for us today, and turns it into joy. He turns it into hope. He has given her purpose and he does this using a remarkable woman from Moab and a remarkable man living in a culture that was as far from God as it could possibly be. 
away. The story isn't just about them. It's easy to look at this story and go, well, this is a story of three pretty remarkable individuals. But this story isn't just about them. This story is for us as well, and I think it's for us because of the way the story ends. It ends with a genealogy, and it's easy to look at that ending and go, oh man, another genealogy. The genealogies have meaning and significance. And this genealogy in particular has meaning and significance. You see some of the names in there. You've got Perez, who was mentioned earlier. But as you get a little farther down, it says Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. David was a very significant character in the history of Israel. He became quite possibly the greatest king that Israel ever had. When people were described as being good kings, it was he took after, the, took after his father David. David was incredibly important in, the Israel, in Israel's history, and he's significant for us as well. But I want to show you just how important genealogies can be. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 1. Because in Matthew chapter 1, some of these names pop up again. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the kingdom, king. Those names show up again in Matthew chapter 1. Now notice with me down in verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. It's a pretty significant genealogy. Because through this family, and through what God does with Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, comes the Savior of the world, Jesus. Like I said, I think this chapter pulls back the curtain to let us see God's purpose in all of this, and his purpose for the rest of mankind. What has happened here in this small story happens on a much larger scale later in the story of the Bible. Jesus is the redeemer of all mankind. Just as Boaz was the redeemer of Ruth and Naomi, just as Obed is the redeemer of Naomi, Jesus is the redeemer of all mankind. And when we look at our situation before we knew Jesus, in our sins, we were in a very similar predicament that Ruth and Naomi found themselves in. They were destitute, and they were in a horrible situation without hope that seemed, hope, that, that seemed to not be going anywhere. That describes us and our sin perfectly. Destitute and without hope. Enter in Boaz, and hope comes back. Enter in Jesus, and hope comes back. We were in desperate need of help. And what we see from this story is that God is working even before the beginning of the world, even when we can't see it, even when we may not understand what's going on, God is working on our behalf because he wants us to be his. You remember, there wasn't a whole lot of benefit for Boaz. He gets a bride that he can delight in in a little bit of land. From a, from a, a purely human standpoint, there's not a whole lot of benefit for, for Boaz in this story. Can I ask you a question tonight? 
how much benefit was there for God to send his son to to, to suffer a horrible death, to die on a cross, to save a bunch of sinful, destitute, in-need people? From a purely human standpoint, not a whole lot. Not a whole lot of benefit there. But just as Boaz gains a bride that he can delight in, God did that so he could find so that he could have a bride that he delights in. And we see that picture all over the New Testament. And this is the bigger picture of this story. And the challenge for us is, is will we recognize like Ruth and Naomi did that we need a redeemer? Will we recognize it? Do we recognize we need someone to pull us up out of our destitution and our darkness? Will we go to work like Ruth does in chapter 2 and 3 so that we can experience the fulfillment and the joy that Naomi does in Ruth chapter 4? Anywhere else we turn in this world, we won't find that kind of fulfillment. And the sad truth is is that many reject this Redeemer. Even some who have been saved by Him reject.